Hello, this is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be exploring the scriptures for Pentecost Sunday, May 23rd, 2021. In, in 1 Peter 2.5, we are told to be like living stones built into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is a description of the kind of unity that the Spirit wishes to make of us and, and, and what, the, what, the, what the Spirit wants. We, as individuals that we are, are called to live next to others, bonded by the glue that the Holy Spirit will bring. The Spirit also brings life to the lifeless stones that we are. And we'll look at some scriptures about that a little bit later. To be truly filled with the Spirit is to allow Him to, to fill us continually to the fullness of fullness that we are in access to every part of our lives. Most of us want to hold something or some area of our life back, or we don't want some neighbor that the Spirit has placed next to us. I'm hoping for all of us that this may be the Pentecost that the Spirit removes our, from our hearts the stone that's there and gives us a heart of flesh. And you can look at Ezekiel 36 verses 26 to 27 to see about that. May this be the Pentecost when each of us allows the Spirit full access to every part of ourselves and to make us one and united with each other in Christ. With that, let's look at the first reading, which is from Acts 2, 1 to 11, and that is the account of the first Pentecost. None of it, it's not accounted for in any of the Gospels. It's here in Acts 2. And so in Acts 1, we saw the ascension. In Acts 2, we see Pentecost. Uh, what, we, what we can see here, it says, when the time for Pentecost was fulfilled, and that word for fulfilled there is not only full or complete, but super complete. So it's a saying it's exactly God's time. There's nothing missing there. And say, and it says they were all together in one place, or in one place together. Now, why is that twofold? Jesus told the apostles two things before he rose, ascended into heaven. One was to go preach the gospel. But he told them that before they do that, they needed to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so it was twofold why they're there together. One was that Jesus told them to be, but probably and more likely is that they were there because of fear of the Jews. They didn't want to happen to them what had happened to Jesus. And then suddenly, uh, the word means totally unexpectedly, there came from the sky a noise like a strong driving wind. Now, let's remember that the word in Hebrew and in Greek that we translate as wind can also be translated as spirit. And it filled the entire house in which they were. So not only was the time fulfilled, but this driving wind that came into the house filled the whole house. There was nothing in the house that was immune from the power of this wind coming into the house. And it's interesting to note that uh, 
this happened again. And this, if you look at Acts 4.31, it says, this is after Peter uh, was freed from prison miraculously. It says, they prayed, the house where they were assembled rocked. From, from this time, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to proclaim the gospel of God fearlessly. So this, so why would they need to be, and we'll talk about this when we get to the gospel too, why would they need to be filled again in Acts 4 if they were filled in Acts 2? I think the reason for that is that, uh, to use a crude, uh, not crude, but a, uh, an inadequate uh, comparison, is that sometimes I think some of the spirit evaporates from us. If, if, I, if we are a reservoir on, and the, what the Spirit gives us is the water in that rev- reservoir, sometimes that water will evaporate and we need to be refilled. The other thing is, I think, that sometimes when we allow the Spirit in, we become stagnant and don't really think about what the Spirit is doing. The other thing, I think, that we have to have be filled continuously with the Holy Spirit is that our capacity changes. If we are living the life that God wants us to live, we are, our capacity for holiness, for the spirit, and for service are going to continually grow. And as we grow in that way, we need more infilling of the Holy Spirit. So let's take, let's go on from there. And there appeared to them tongues of fire. It's interesting if you, uh, if you look at the note in the Jerusalem, New Jerusalem and New Jerusalem Bible, it's, it says it's, uh, the shape of flames of the flames were associated with the gift of tongues. So typically, when you see uh, the picture, you saw, see the flame on top of each of the apostles and all those that were in that upper room. And when and it, the the word that they use here for tongues of fire is a tame root pardon me word that is used when they talk about that they were able to speak in other tongues. So there is the fire of the Holy Spirit will give us the words to speak so that those to whom we are speaking will be intelligible to them. And it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So they were filled. These, this is, and if you look at some of the notes, it says that this wasn't the 120 that were in the room. This is more likely the, the 12 and, and perhaps Mary, depending upon what the tradition is that you've heard. And they began to speak with different tongues, heteros, hetero. So as the Spirit enabled them to proclaim, so they did not have any knowledge of the language which they were speaking, but they were given the ability to speak in these different languages. And you can look again at why that would be. And the reason, if you look at uh, Matthew 28, 18 and 9 says, the last thing, one of the last things Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the commands that I gave you. How can they do that if their speech is unintelligible to the people to whom they are preaching? And so it happened. So why is, why I'm going to go back again to say that this was foretold in the scriptures, not only in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament. If we look in the Old Testament, we see a couple of places. We already talked about the place in uh, in uh, Ezekiel 36. But if you if you look at what, what Peter had said, 
uh, in uh, Acts in his first his first sermon, which is in Acts fourteen two fourteen to eighteen, he says he says he, he quotes Joel three one and two, and Joel three and one and two says, "After this, I shall pour out my spirit on all humanity." Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old people shall dream dreams, and your young people shall see visions. Even on the slaves, men and women, I will pour out my spirit. Also, if you go back to Matthew 3.11, we see that John the Baptist prophesied this. He's, he told them that I will baptize you. I baptize you with the water of repentance, but the one who comes after me is more powerful than I, and I am not fit to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So that's where we were right there, okay? So now it says, now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven staying in Jerusalem. So now we've had that the, the tongues of fire parted on them, so they, they became separate tongues. They began to speak separate languages. And now you have people from separate countries under heaven staying in Jerusalem. At the sound, they gathered in a large crowd, but they were confused. Now it's interesting. Let's. I'm gonna. If you look at confused, where did where did the languages get confused? If you look at Genesis chapter eleven verses one through nine, you see that that the people were trying to build a tower in Babel to reach God, and the story in Genesis eleven one to nine says that it, because this was a sin, God confused their languages. So that's the explanation for the different languages among people. And the word Babel in the Hebrew means confusion. So what we see here is that God is taking into account that there's been all this confusion of language among people. And now through the Holy Spirit and the voice of the apostles, that the people that are there are able to hear God speaking to them in their own language. God is overcoming the confusion that came about because of the Tower of Babel and the people that sinned there. But it says they were astounded and in, in, in amazement. They asked, are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? Aren't these folks, the hillbillies, that are sophisticated, that are speaking these? How do they know all these languages? It says, now each of us hears them in his native language. And we are Parthian." Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts near of Cyrene, near uh, Libya, near Cyrene, as well as travelers from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we all hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty works of God. Now, where are the where, where are these people from that it's t- talking about here? They're from all the way from Persia or what we call today Iran, in around the whole Mediterranean basin. So, in a sense, it was the whole world as known through the Roman Empire. And they were amazed. Wouldn't you be amazed? If you heard the, the, a, a heavy wind going outside that you knew wasn't a tornado or uh, some, something destructive, wouldn't you go to look at it? Wouldn't you be amazed if somebody from uh, some country far away came and was, or somebody that uh, was there came and spoke in a, a language that you understood. And this is what God does. He speaks to our hearts in a language that we can understand. 
Okay, so let's take a look at the gospel now. So we've got all of this going on, and we've got, got it there, and uh, what we need to understand is that we are continue to do that. Ephesians 6, 5, 18, Paul tells us, do not get drunk with new wine. This is simply dissipation. Be filled with the Spirit. And the sense of that be filled with the Spirit is that we are continually filled with the Spirit. It's an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing. And again, this do not get drunk with wine, that is yielding to all of the flesh. Uh, again, when Peter preached, he said, it's nine o'clock in the morning. These guys aren't drunk. We haven't been drinking. But it's the spirit that's doing this. So there's a distinction between how you were able, what's going on. The excitement and all the things that were going on uh, when this happened created people, made people think these people are, are out of it. They're totally out of it. So let's look at the gospel. And the gospel should look very familiar. It's, it's, it's the first part of the gospel, or the first half of the gospel that we read on Easter Sunday, or for the second Sunday of Easter. And it talks about after Jesus had appeared to the people on the road to Emmaus, that he came back and he stood in the middle of, of the room where they were locked. The same room that, were t- that was talked about in, the, in Acts chapter 2 is the room in which they were locked on Easter Sunday. And to look at this, if you want another look at what this is saying, it's very easy for you to do so. You just go to Mark chapter 16, verses 14 through 18, and Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. Again, we'll say on that evening of the first day of the week. So this is after the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus rose on the morning after the Sabbath. Remember the Jewish day the Sabbath began on Friday night and ended a uh, Friday night at sundown and ended at Saturday night at sundown. The Jewish day began at sundown rather than sunrise. So this is the first day of the week. It's still there. So it's early in the afternoon. It hasn't, the sun hasn't gone down yet. And why is that important? Because this is, this, this is Jesus, one of his primary things that he wants to do. He wants to appear to his apostles to let, <clears throat> excuse me, to let them know that he's risen from the dead and what's going on next in their lives. And so let's look, and then it says after that, it says after that, that uh, he, he entered the room, says, excuse me, and they were in that room for fear of the Jews. So this, this text tells us the primary reason why they were in the room at that time on Easter Sunday. They were totally fearful of the Jews. Now, what's interesting here is as all of the differences that the apostles may have had, at this particular time, they had one unifying emotion, and that emotion was fear, and it brought them together in this room. And it says, Jesus came and stood in their midst, right in among all of them. He didn't stand on the edge of the room or whatever. He stood right in their midst, and he said them to them, peace be with you. Now, when did he say this earlier? He said this earlier, didn't he? He said this in, at the Last Supper, and it's, we talked about this on the second Sunday of Easter, John chapter 14, 27, he says, Peace I bequeath to you, my own peace I give to you, a peace which the world cannot give. This is my gift to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled or afraid. Now this peace also, the peace of Jesus Christ, is a unifying factor for them. This is the unifying factor, the spirit and the peace 
or the unifying factor that Jesus wants to give them to bring them together, not in fear, but in love of him and accomplishing all the things that God God wants them to do, all the things that he's going to tell them to do over the 40 days between Easter Sunday and Ascension Thursday. And we saw for in the readings for Ascension Thursday, again, at the last thing he told them was to go out and to make the disciples. So when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Oh, so why would he do that? It's for the same reason that in one of the accounts, he asked for a piece of fish to show them that he was truly risen for the dead. He was not a, a ghost. He was who he had been beforehand, but with his glorified body. And it says the, re- the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And that word rejoice there is uh, chariero, uh, to be filled with cheer, but it also can mean to be calmly handled. So this, this appearance of Jesus to them not only made them joyful, but it helped them to overcome their fear. Maybe not totally, but it helped them to overcome the fear. And we need to understand that that is what God wants to do with us always. And then he says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. That sounds very much like John chapter 17, verses 18 and 19, which was in the high priestly prayer given to the, uh, said in the presence of the apostles on Holy Thursday. And that says, as you sent me into the world, he's talking to the Father, I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself so that they too may be consecrated in truth. So Jesus has said to them, and said they heard Jesus say this to his father. So he's telling us, telling the apostles here, that just as he's, God the Father sent him into the world, he's now going to send them into the world. And again, he, again we're going to see where in Mark 16, 15, because uh, we already read the uh, passage in Luke and uh, Matthew, uh, he says to them, and I and he said to them, go out to the whole world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. So this is what Jesus wants. And in, in John fifteen sixteen, he says, you did not choose me; I chose you to go out and to bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now the fruit that Jesus wanted them to bear was this proclamation of the gospel and the people that they could bring to Jesus Christ through that process. And they rejoiced. Would you be happy if you had been in that room? Would you be astounded? Would you need to see that the wounds, and and maybe perhaps as Thomas had to do the following Sunday to put your finger in the wounds, say that you had to do that? So Jesus repeats again, peace be with you. Why? because he could still comprehend that they weren't totally peaceful. And he says, as the Father sent me, so so I send you. And we said this, he breathed on them. Okay, so again, let's, let's recall that the word breath, spirit, and wind are the same word in Greek and in Hebrew. So he is breathing on them. Okay, where else did God do that? Well, we can look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, 
Yahweh God shaped man from the soil of the ground and blew the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. So this is a, in a this is Jesus uh, doing the outward sign of giving them the Holy Spirit. But even before that, Genesis chapter two, we see in Genesis chapter one, then in two. Uh, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was a formless void, which could also mean chaos. Think again of Babel. Without form and a void. And the darkness was upon the face of the earth, of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. So even at the very beginning of creation, you have the Spirit there. And not only there, but the spirit not only was the breath of physical life given to Adam, but the breath of God's life was given to Adam. So Adam, if you look at that, Adam was probably filled with the spirit in the beginning, but he threw it away in Genesis chapter 3. Then Jesus said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, why would that be important? Why would he do it here? Why, when he does it here, it wasn't enough that they had to have it again? Well, I think that one of the things that we can do is we can look at uh, this and see that in Revelation 21, 5, the first part of the verse is, the one sitting on the throne spoke, look, I am making the whole creation of new. Uh, new. So at the end, it will be like a recreation, a, big, a redoing of Genesis chapter 1. It is restoring to us that Jesus is restoring to the apostles here and in Acts chapter 2, the life that was lost due to the fall. Whose sins you are forgiven, you forgive, they are forgiven them. Whose sins you shall retain, you retain, are retained. I think that you need, we need to look at that in a sense that if you look back in Leviticus, there was the whole concept of forgiveness of sins in Leviticus 6, 8 to 10. It's talking about the scapegoat. Uh, and there's probably another passage that I don't have here. If you recall correctly, that once a year, the, the priest would put his hands on one of the goats. They had two goats, one for sacrifice and one to send out into the desert. And they put the hand on the goats and uh, symbolically transmit all the people's sins onto that goat and send it out into the desert to die. Now, that's a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, of course, but also they have this concept that those sins can be forgiven. Uh, and again, if you look uh, at Matthew 18, 18, this is spoken to Peter and his successors, in truth, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So God is, Jesus is giving them the power to bind and to loose sin at this point in time. So what are we going to do with this? Hopefully, we're going to ask God to help us to do what we need to do. Now, if we go back and let's look at the responsorial psalm, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but the the first verse said, or the responsorial says, "Lord, send out your spirit and renew the face of the earth." 
pray the hair prayer to the Holy Spirit. What we see there, God has been sending out his spirit always for creative and re- recreative and restorative purposes. His works are unfathomable both in quantity and in quality. God does this, and we don't really understand what's going on because we don't really understand the fullness of God. Let's look at the second reading. Now, this is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3b through 7 and 12 through 13. I invite you to read all the way from 3, 12, 3 to to uh, 13. There's some verses that are left out, and it's not the, the it's, it's it's nothing that uh, diminishes what this passage says, but it's something that we need to look at. It's, and it says, "No one can save Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit." Well, John tells us that in First John chapter four and uh, one and three. It says, "My dear friends, not every spirit is to be trusted, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many people are." are in the world. This is the proof the Spirit of God, which acknowledges Jesus Christ, common the human nature, is from God, and no spirit fall, fails to acknowledge Jesus is from God. All right? Now, if you want a, uh, a sort of a companion passage to this, uh, look at Romans 12, 4 to 8. Then it goes on and says, there are different spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God. So you've got the difference and the unity, the difference and the unity. And God produces them all. And this is to each individual. Okay, so again, that's the different. The manifest of the Spirit is given for some benefit. So God gives that to us so that we can bear fruit and manifest his Spirit to bring people to him, to show that God is working in our lives, that we are to be attractive. What's supposed to be attractive about us is the Jesus in us. But it's what whatever gifts God has given us aren't for us; they're for other people. And the question we all need to ask ourselves is: What gift or gifts has God given me to further His kingdom? And then He goes on to say, "As the body is one, though it has many parts, and all parts of the body, though many, are one body, so also Christ." So all of these things are given, just like the diff. The different organs and limbs of the body are given to make the body whole and complete. So all the gifts that we have been given by the Spirit are to make the body whole. And all the gifts that we're given is to make the body whole and to make the body attractive to others. It says, for we are one spirit, in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. That body is Jesus Christ and his church. Whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free persons, Again, the diversity and the difference, the things that we we see that humanly we look at and say, that person is different from me, that person is different from me. and But he, he goes on to say, and we are all given drink of one spirit. We all are living out that passage in Joel chapter 3 that he poured his spirit out upon all mankind. And we need to understand that. Uh, Ephesians 4, 4 and 6, there is one body, one spirit, just as one hope is the goal of your calling by God, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all, over all, through all, and within all. So we need to understand that. And Galatians 3.28 tells us also, there can be neither Jew nor Greek, nor can be neither, 
Uh, let me start. There can be neither Jew nor Greek. There can be neither slave nor freedman. There can be neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All these things are to, to bring us together. The, the, uh, they don't matter. And then finally, I'm going to read from Colossians 3, 9 to 11. And this is what's supposed to be happening when we're filled with the Spirit. Is the more that the Spirit fills us, you have been stripped off your old behavior with your old self, and you put on your new self, which will progress toward the true knowledge of the more it is renewed in the image of Christ, of of its creator. And in that image, there's no room for distinction between Jew, Greek, and Jew, between circumcised and uncircumcised, or between Scythian and barbarian Scythian, slave and free. There is only Christ. He is everything and in everything. We are transformed into the image of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And with that, I'm going to stop for today. Uh, and ask you, are you ready for the Holy Spirit to top you off? Are you ready to abandon the ways of the world and open yourself to allow the Spirit to fill all areas of your life? And look at Ephesians 5.18 for that. Are you ready to open the doors of the Spirit you have closed before? Are you ready for the Spirit to make you a living stone and fill you to overflowing? God bless you. Have a good week.